and welcome back to Citizen Talk. This is the show that is restoring prudence to politics. I'm Lynette Grunvig. And I'm Juan Davalos, and you're listening to us on Radio Free Hillsdale, 101.7 FM, or on iTunes, SoundCloud, or YouTube. Yeah, so that's exciting. Very uh, exciting. So, so if you're just listening to us, uh, as you can probably hear, the sound is a little different. Uh, and that's because we're still in quarantine. So I'm still <laughs> here in Hillsdale. Lynette, and I'm in? still stuck at home in Colorado. Can't go anywhere. Can't do anything. So, <laughs> so uh, but we've seen a lot of things have um, during this week. Well, Lynette, why don't you start us up? Yeah, I have a lot to say on this issue. <laughs> Some of it is I understand what we're doing right now. I understand that hospitals, especially in New York, are on the verge if they aren't already overwhelmed. And that is very scary. And I understand that our goal is to keep our health system from being overwhelmed. And I'm not opposed in the short term to us staying at home and following stay in place orders to try and keep that from happening. But what I'm deeply concerned about is that there is no plan to get us out of this. And that the people, the so-called experts who are in charge of this thing may know a lot about epidemiology and disease, but they don't understand politics or economics or general society. And they don't seem to have any care to think about those things. We are facing a Great Depression level crash, 30% unemployment, double digit drops in GDP. And maybe if we're lucky, that will come back quickly if we get through this quickly. But if we're talking, and I'm hearing experts talk about doing this for months, on and off for months, for years even potentially, but the earliest we could think of getting a vaccine is 18 months from now. And that's, if we're really lucky, it's much more likely to take longer than that. We cannot sustain this for that long. And there has to be a plan. And we have to start talking about the effects on the economy. Because the truth is that while the 1918 flu was absolutely catastrophic and devastating, especially for anyone who's researched, researched it, which I have, what we really remember, the true catastrophic event was the Great Depression. That's what shook our society. And that's what traumatized generations of people for a long time to come. My great-grandmother was a hoarder because she lived through the Great Depression and she never forgot that. She would hoard food. She would hoard items because that, that traumatized her. She lived to her 90s and that event was so traumatic it stayed in her memory for that long. We have to consider what the economic impacts of this will be. And we need to start talking to experts who are outside of the disease, who have common sense and who realize that there is a limit on what you can ask any people can do to do. There's a limit on what you can ask people to stay away from their jobs, to stay in home, to, to not go out and, and um, live life like normal. And we need to start having genuine conversations about that. Conversations that actually involve the totality of our society and not just focus on experts who only know really one thing. And I understand that we can do this for maybe a month or two, but but the way they're talking is unreasonable, and we need to start talking about what our plan is for the future and not just letting people run roughshod over our society when you're talking about months and years into the future. And that's really what I want to say. Not that we should be breaking orders now, leaving our homes, not doing cautious things, but that we need to start having a conversation about what our plan is for the future that isn't just directed by the most extreme elements in the epidemiology and medical communities. Anyways, Juan, what do you think about that? <laughs> No, yeah. Um, well, something that I hadn't heard, and that's because I haven't really read much into this period of history. Um, I hadn't heard that the, the the impact of the 1918 and 1919 flu, uh, the Spanish flu, on the Great Depression. Uh, but you're saying that you have 
looked into this and that there is a connection between the two? No, days? there's not. The 1918 okay. food comes too early. What I'm saying is out of those two seriously traumatic events, I okay. think the one that was actually the most traumatic was the Great Depression for the American people. And nobody really wants to talk about how traumatic an even greater depression could be, that that might actually be worse than, than the coronavirus is. Oh, and I we see. don't want to talk about that. Yeah. I see. Right. And that, yeah, that's a, that's a great point that, um, you know, President Trump keeps talking about that the disease could end up being worse than the, the, the cure could end up being worse than the disease. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I can totally see that, um, you know, it, it, it's turning out to be that the disease might not be as fatal as it was first projected. Now, it could, it could be that's because the, the projections were way off or because the social distancing is actually working. Yeah. Um, but either way, it looks like uh, the actual mortality rate of the disease, which, you know, it's still really difficult to understand what it actually is because you don't know how many people actually have it and they're just not showing symptoms. Yeah. Um, but it, it, it seems that maybe the mortality rate is actually lower than, uh, you know, it, it, it actually is. There's countries like Italy and Spain uh, and, and other countries around the world that have really high mortality rates, but that's because it turns out that they count uh, mortality differently than other countries. <laughs> so they, they are much more, I don't know if eager is the right word, but uh, for lack of a better word, eager to count um, somebody dies and they test them for the virus and it turns out that they do have the virus. Therefore, that counts as somebody that died because of the virus, but they might have died about something else. Uh, unrelated to to the virus, and they just happen to have the virus. Uh, yeah. So, so there are reports that numbers in certain in other countries are being skewed that way. Um, and so, the best studies that I've seen, it it seems like, is uh, the study of that cruise ship that had the uh, seven hundred people in the cruise ship and and. Older people too, you know, right. that's who goes on cruises. So right, and it and so it seems that the mortality rate, it's it's actually closer to like 0.7 percent or something like that, which it's still about seven times deadlier than the flu, because uh, the mortality rate for the flu is about 0.1 percent, um, but it is not, you know, the Spanish flu, which killed like 20 or 50 million people around the world. Yeah. Um, so. In, in light of that, and in, in light of um, everything else that's going on, uh, it seems that maybe they're overreacting, the government is overreacting, and if they are, then the cure will end up being worse than the disease. Yeah. Uh, so, I, I from the beginning, I've always said, I don't understand why the policy isn't, if you're young and you're fit and you don't have any pre-existing conditions such as asthma or some something wrong with your lungs or with uh, you know uh, some heart disease or something like that cardiovascular disease if, if you're young and fit and healthy you should be fine and you should be going out to work uh, mm -hmm. if, if you are over 60 years old then those are the people that need to stay home for a while until you know this passes and in in we can have the proper care for them and the proper uh, a vaccine or the proper treatment for them or something like that.
But if you're young and fit and healthy, you should be able to go to work and you should be allowed to go to work. I, I was skeptical about, you know, saying that in public at the beginning because th there was few information out there, but nothing right. that has come out since the beginning has uh, contradicted that. Yeah, I'm inclined to agree with you on. And like I said, I'm still okay in the short term having stay in place orders, but I really am concerned about the craziness of talking about this for months and years. I right. mean, there's just no, these people are not sane. That's, right. that's the only thing I can think. You must be absolutely insane. And partly what really concerns me is the number of people I see living in absolute terror. Most of us will be just fine. That's right. the honest truth. And if you are panicking and terrified, that is not a reasonable, rational reaction. I'm sorry, it's just not. And the idea that the media and the left seem to want us all to live in an absolute state of panic is crazy to me. Yeah. And that's the one thing I will say. It's okay to be cautious. It's okay to stay home. I'm myself doing that. But if you are living in panic, stop. You've got to stop living in terror because that is not, that is, that is when societies fall apart, when people live in terror. Bad things, really bad things come out of that. And anyone who tells you you should be living in terror stop listening to that person <laughs> that's what i think those are not good people to listen to right and the problem with that is i think one of the things that that this has shown is how how easy we are as a society uh and myself included to just submit to whatever the government tells you you know whether you think the the, the disease is as deadly as as it's being projected to be or not you know aside from that um, it's crazy how willing people have been to just simply submit to the orders of, of the government uh, to the point of being ordered to stay at home, right? Yeah. In, in, my, in my community, we received a letter from the, uh, from the management saying the, the governor has issued a stay-at-home order, therefore children are not allowed to play outside. Wow. Um, children shouldn't be outside just for fun. Uh, and, you know, we're in Michigan. We just went through a winter and it's beautiful 55, 60 degrees outside and sunny right now. We don't get yeah. a lot of those days. <laughs> uh, and children are being told to, to stay in, indoors and they're not allowed to go out to play. Uh, now, whether you think the disease is as bad as it's being said to be or not, uh, it does say a lot about the current state of, of people that they're very willing to simply go ahead and stay indoors. Because since we got that letter, I haven't seen any children playing outside. So people were more than willing uh, to submit to that order. Um, and, you know, it, it does tell you a lot about the condition of, of the, the, the character of the people in the country currently. Uh, and it's, it, it, what's surprising also is, uh, <laughs> I think I posted on Facebook uh, at the question, is this going to be the first social media pandemic? Um, and, and I think, you know, usually my guess is that back in 1918, when the Spanish flu hit or, or even earlier than that, uh, the plague or, or any type of worldwide uh, pandemic, uh, you really didn't start it taking seriously until you saw it in your neighborhood, right? Mm -hmm. Until you see neighbors starting to get it, then you don't take it seriously. But we live in an age in which our neighborhood is much larger in the sense that you're just connected with people through social media. And that's where you're getting most of your information. Uh, and therefore, 
when people in Wuhan, China are getting sick, you start getting worried, you know, 3,000 miles away. Yeah. Um, I think that's something new. I agree. That is new. And what I feel like is you have the people who delight in reporting on their neighbors and worrying, obsessing about what their neighbors are doing. This is, this is the best thing that's ever happened to them in some ways, because now they get to harass their neighbors online and now they get to call police if they see their neighbor's kids playing outside. That's, that's what concerns me. The people who would have, uh, people who have a tendency to overreact and like to govern everyone else, this, this really encourages them. And I, that bothers me because those kind of people I think are bad for society overall. <laughs> right. And, um, you know, we, we use the term snowflake a lot, uh, especially to, to refer mockingly to liberals, uh, you know, who, who tend to whine about everything. But it turns out that most of us apparently are snowflakes in that, uh, you know, there's this disease going out there of which, you have a 99% chance of surviving it, even if you get it. Like, you know, there's a chance already of not getting the disease. But apart from that, if you do get it, your chances of being fine uh, are 99%. Yet we're all so terrified that we're stuck in our homes. Like, yeah. And I, I think that is very different from, uh, I, I don't know that people, um, and maybe I'm wrong about this, but I don't know that people in earlier times would have been um, as skittish. Uh, and I, I, it goes back to a point we made in a previous show that we're just not used to dealing with death anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, death is really something that is very foreign to us now because of advances in medical technology and, 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 and everything, right? We're, we're, we're in a very safe society in which uh, your chances of dying young are very rare. Uh, they only happen when you're old. Um, and so the idea that, you know, suddenly this thing is going around that's going to kill you, uh, even, even though the chances of it actually killing you are minuscule, minuscule. Um, really make a difference on, on how you behave. That's true. And I will tell you this other thing. In many ways, it's a good thing if you do get it and come out fine because you will then have built immunity. Honestly, me personally, there is a part of me that wishes I would get it because I would rather have it and build immunity now than wait for months and years of panic-driven policy and, and have to live in terror. It, for most of us, actually, it's probably better if we go ahead and get it, even if it's very unpleasant because you at least are building immunity. And if this thing is around for quite a long time, which it may be, wouldn't it be better not to have to stress and worry about that anymore? Anyway, I, maybe that's extreme, but. No, no, I, I totally, I, I think I, I've had the exact same feeling. It's like, well, you know, it, maybe it's even better to get it now before it, you know, mutates more and changes and it's, it, you know, it could actually get worse. So mm -hmm. maybe it's better to get it now so that your body starts developing antibodies for it. And then once you get it and you recover, then, you're fine. <laughs> There's yeah. no reason why you shouldn't be able to live your life normally, not fearing this disease. I agree. The UK, I've heard, is actually thinking about giving people who, who've had the coronavirus and then have been okay cards and say, I had the coronavirus so that they can go about their lives normally mm. because they're so unconcerned about those people. Once you've had it, you're largely thus far 
seems like governments are starting to think maybe you're just going to be okay. And so for those of you who have had it, if you haven't had to go to the hospital, which most of us won't, maybe that's a blessing in sort of perverse way. (laughs) Yeah, no. Uh, And actually, I I believe in Sweden, they're, they're kind of taking that approach, right? They're trying to, they're actually, I believe they're not counting cases anymore. They're just trying to count on uh, herd immunity, which herd immunity is this idea that, you know, if everybody gets it and they get, you know, they recuperate fine, they recover fine, then they'll just be immune to disease. They're kind of counting on that. They haven't closed any restaurants. They haven't closed any business. They haven't shut down their economy. They're just going about their daily business. Uh, And their mortality rates are actually pretty low. They're taking very seriously the idea that you know, basic hygiene, uh, you know, try to keep a little bit distance between people. Don't, don't be stupid about it. Uh, but at the same time, we're not going to destroy our economy for it. And that to me seems the most sensible approach. Actually, if young people largely got this illness and were got through it, we might actually be in a better state than we are right now, which is just panic driven, as far as I can tell, irrational in the long term, at least a th- thought processes. Yeah, and so I recently also find out, found out that the governor of Michigan, uh, the infamous Half Whitmer, uh, <laughs> has decided that she wants to extend the state of emergency in the state of Michigan for another 70 days. Wow. Um, and, and that's what I think when you start realizing um, that a lot of this, and it has to be power driven, right? Yeah. Uh, you're in you're in this position of power in which you've gotten you you know emergency powers give governors or the president enormous amounts of power, and they the people that run for these higher offices around the country are very ambitious people who like power, and yes. so whenever an opportunity like this comes along, it seems like they can't help themselves. And to extend the state of emergency in the state of Michigan for another 70 days, that's ridiculous. I mean, I can understand that she says, if she says, you know, it looks like we have to extend it for another two weeks and then we'll reassess. I could, I could even understand that, but to go ahead and say, oh, I want another two and a half months of emergency (laughs) power. That's ridiculous. It's crazy. And here's the thing. You're right. This is all about power. Do you really need to be locked down all the way to July? No one knows that, you know, I mean, that's absurd. Right. But I will say this, the left has been saying since Donald Trump was elected that he wanted to be Hitler and a dictator and rule the world. And this is his opportunity. If President Trump wanted to be a dictator, now is when he would do it. And he has been the most hands-off constitutionalist president you could possibly hope for at this time. Yeah, Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Oh, yeah, it, no. I'm it done. is interesting how he's been very, he's been very intentional. And maybe this is just, it, it, it has nothing to do with him loving the Constitution and more him putting the blame on somebody else. <laughs> he's been very hands-off in letting the states be the ones that make the decisions. And the, the media has been trying, well, are you going to issue a national stay-at-home? Like, no, I'm going <laughs> to let that to the states. Now, whether it's because he believes in the Constitution or not, or whether he knows whether it's constitutional or not, that's a separate question. But the fact is that he's been very much letting the states make those decisions. Yeah, he's not. This, by the way, it's the media that wants him to be a dictator now. Yeah. That's the truth. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 
If that yeah. doesn't invalidate everything the left has said since the moment he was elected, I don't know what does. <laughs> right. And, you know, you wonder how much they wanted him to be a dictator, to be like, aha, we told you, he is a dictator. Look, <laughs> yeah. look all this. Because if he would take the, the measures that they want him to take, then they would be blaming him for being a dictator. But they don't yeah. know what to do since he's not taking them. Yeah, I think that's true, too. <laughs> well, that's, I think that's all the time we have for, for, this, for this week. Uh, this is Citizen Talk, the show that's restoring prudence to politics. I'm Juan Davalos. And I'm Lynette Grunvig. And again, this is Radio Free Hillstand 101.7 FM, where you can also hear us on SoundCloud, iTunes, and now YouTube. Just search one word citizen talk. (laughs) Yep. We'll see you next week.